joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blissful Living. I am Rochelle Lawson, your host, the queen of feeling fabulous. And today we're going to talk to you, uh, me and my guests, we're going to talk to you about some things that we really think will help you to continue to decrease the stress in your life and possibly eliminate it or give you give you uh, intrinsic information on how you can utilize what we're going to talk about today with my guest on how you can eliminate stress in your life. And today my guest is Dr. Glenn Hepler, and he is an author. He has several degrees, um, but what's really fascinating is he is into Chinese traditional Chinese medicine. And so along with a whole bunch of other things that we'll talk about during our conversation today. So without further ado, um, I don't want to just ramble on. I want to just let you guys hear from the guest, Dr. Glenn. Hi, Dr. Glenn. Welcome to the show. How are you? Very good, Rochelle. It's a privilege and pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today, today about uh, the importance of, of what's going on in our society with regards to the tremendous amount of stress that everyone is experiencing due to a variety of things. There's a lot of chaos going on in the world. We have all this technology that no longer allows us to take a break from our life. And you know, from that, we have a lot of uh, health conditions that definitely manifest from being stressed and overwhelmed. And so I just want to jump right in and have you talk to the audience or the listeners a little bit about um, Chinese traditional medicine. Can you explain to them what that is? Well, it has a huge philosophical base, which in the practical application is complemented by um Tai Chi, Chuan, Qigong, uh, a lot of stretching, guided imagery, meditation, uh, acupuncture, acupressure, herbs, nutrition, and art called Twina, which is a combination of massage, uh, kind of sophisticated type of massage, including acupressure, osteopathic adjustments, kind of like what is in chiropractic uh-huh. and that sort of thing. So. Okay, so now for the audience that may not be familiar with, you know, some of the terms of, you know, Qigong and things of that nature, can you explain to them a little bit about what that is? Well, Qigong is literally meaning breathing in time with movement. And it doesn't just have to be movement. It can be sitting, meditation, standing meditation, laying down. But we perform certain types of stretches in Qigong, for instance, and at one point of the movement you'd be breathing in and one part you'd be breathing out, which teaches you to in, to uh, move in a more healthful way, in a more relaxed way, mm-hmm. and while, you know, oxygenating one's body according to abdominal or, or diaphragmatic breathing. And so you can enhance your 
the oxygenation of your body, especially in the extremities. Right. Which can really help at the cellular level. So. Wow, that's that's really interesting. Um, you know, I know being an Ayurvedic health practitioner, that Chinese traditional medicine has a lot of similarities uh, with Ayurveda, and it is believed that it uh, originated uh, from um, Ayurveda. So a lot, there's a lot of similarities with regards to, you know, the treatment of the client and um, the aspect of, you know, herbs and meditation and, you know, the different stretches Um, in Ayurveda, it's sister science is yoga. And um, it looks like in Chinese traditional medicine, the sister science, as far as physical movement is uh, Qigong. Is that correct? Qigong. In fact, very much so. About 1500 years ago, uh, a man, a Buddhist patriarch traveled from India and he was a yoga master and he uh, taught the Chinese uh, Buddhism and then he also, uh, which eventually amalgamated with Taoism and Confucianism and then he we still have those movements, they're called the 18 Lohan movements and so he kind of combined with yoga, with martial arts and just healthful styles of living and it was quite a sophisticated art and then it kind of all blossomed from there. So actually you're hitting it right in the head that there is a intrinsic connection between yoga and qigong and tai chi, chuan, and even kung fu and that sort of thing. So, so now um, as we talk about this um, informative session with regards to what Chinese traditional medicine is and all that it includes, um are the different forms, you know, you mentioned Qigong and, you know, Tai Chi and, you know, some of the martial arts. How do that play, how does that play um, a role with regards to Chinese traditional medicine? Is it, are they part of the mm, more physical aspects of the discipline or? Yes, Tai Chi and Qigong can also be like a, a form of physical therapy, the Chinese and Indians believe they created physical therapy many, many years ago, both for preventive purposes and for treatment. And the the that Dhamma or Bodhidharma, he Bodhidharma was his uh, Indian name, Sanskrit, mm-hmm. and he saw that the monks couldn't protect themselves from the bandits, and they were lazy and fall asleep, praying and meditating, and were not in very good shape. So he invented an art that was for both health and wellness equally with self-defense and the beauty of that is it's basically the same thing it's true health or true responsibility and when you combine the movements that are in other words the human body was meant to do certain things right move a certain way and so and as long as you're doing that for both health and wellness and most people don't like care about the martial art part of it but it's it's meant to kind of in, in a on a genius level, in a sense, not my genius, but the <laughs> genius of the art that's evolved over 1,500 years to kind of have both. And it's just kind of the true self-defense is self-defense against their own weaknesses and bad habits. So whether that the the bad guy is you not doing things healthfully right. or somebody's trying to get you, so to speak, or, you know, it's really
basically the same thing philosophically, right. or at least it, one end can complement the other. And that was kind of the beauty of the thesis of what he set forth. Wow, that is that's very interesting. Um, I like that because it's really more to it than people tend to think. Like with an Ayurveda, they tend to think that it involves a lot of um, meditation and things of that nature. And then also with regards to yoga, a lot of people don't correlate Ayurveda being well, exactly the, the yeah. sister science of yoga and. In, in the Western world, people think that going to yoga class and doing mm-hmm. asanas or postures is yoga, but that's just mm-hmm. one aspect of yoga. There's, exactly. um, you know, an eightfold path with regards to yoga, and the postures or doing the asanas is just one aspect of it. It goes way deeper, and it's way more involved than what, you know, society to, to think it is right now and so it seems like you know i i remember seeing um people doing uh chinese people doing qigong and, and tai chi when i was young and you know it's just this beautiful movement that they're doing and of course you know when you're a little kid you're like what the heck are they doing you know because it's different sure. you haven't seen it but the beauty of it was it just you know sitting there watching them they just seem to flow with the elements, so to speak, and and not like they were working against the elements or working against themselves, but flowing with the rhythm that was around them at the time. And and I thought that was you know really neat to look at and really interesting to see, and and very beneficial um, to their physical health. These people looked very much younger than they actually were, so. Sure. It's a beautiful, beautiful form of physical movement that's really good for your body. And you don't necessarily have to do that intense cardio stuff to get benefit out of some physical movement like, you know, Tai Chi or Qigong, right? Right. Well, Tai Chi, Qigong, can be, <clears throat> it's, it's not like a jogging pace with regard to your aerobic activity, but it's a lot more aerobic than it appears because even at a slow pace, the um, of movement with the abdominal breathing and bending one's knees it's been empirically uh, substantiated that it's as aerobic as a moderately paced walk even when you're doing it slow right the deep breathing and you're bending your knees and stretching gently and that sort of thing and that that kind of relates to what with regard to what you're saying to what we coin as the lotus flower blossom blossoms analogy and the the idea behind that is that if you learn to be relaxed within movement in one specific activity in this case tai chi qigong yoga then slowly the better the more masterful you become in that artful way the more it will blossom in the other aspects of your life and if you can say you're walking across the street and a car doesn't see you and and you have to jump out of the way. Well, which is best, being clear-headed in more and more in every given situation right. or panicking and standing in the way? It's kind. Of, it's not the best analogy, but the point is if you can become more and more relaxed in one thing within movement from the time we get up in the morning mm-hmm. where we get more tense, more anxious, typically. Right. And so if you can learn to be more relaxed in your daily activities, 
then that's one aspect of true health, learning to um, breathe deeply, not raise your shoulders like with the fight and flight and fight. Uh, fight or flight you know, syndrome, response. yeah. Yeah, and all that, if you can, nothing's perfect. There's always room for improvement, which actually in our philosophy is the greatest, one of the greatest gifts of all. There's always room for improvement on this earth. And the more you work at these things and gain a greater and greater level of true mastery, um, you, you know, that's so, it's a wonderful gift that you can give to yourself. You know, when you say it's, um, I like how you say being, being able to be relaxed in the context of movement mm-hmm. and I um, grew up, I was a kid that ran track and field uh, from the time I was 10 all the way through college. And wow. we, yeah, and we just recently had the Olympics. And when you look at, and this is just, this is a perfect analogy for what you just said with regards being relaxed in the context, context of movement, because when you look at these track and field athletes, you know, doing the 100-meter, you know, running the 100-meter race, um, the highest caliber of the athlete that's running that race, even though they're going world record speed, if you take a look at their face, Mm -hmm. you will see that they are so relaxed. And here they are jamming down the track. I mean, you know, jamming you know, an unbelievable speed. But sure. when you look at their faces, you can see how relaxed their face is and it transcends into their body. Um, we, have a saying, we have a saying, not to interrupt, but we have a saying that if your hands, shoulders, face, and feet are relaxed, you are relaxed. So that just complements exactly what you just said. Yeah, and, 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 and the funny thing is, the amazing thing is, you know, here they're in this intense, very intense, highly competitive situation, but the winners, the winners, nine times out of ten, are the most relaxed as they're coming down the track, and you see it. Even though they're jamming, you see that they're the most relaxed. And, and so um, it goes to saying that, you know, you can be relaxed, and you can learn to relax and be, you know, have no stress in a highly physical capacity. You just have to learn how to do it, right? Well, we have a, yeah, exactly. We have a concept that once again complements what you just said. It's learning to use only the absolute necessary level of musculature. In other words, people in daily their daily lives are often so tense and anxious, even if they know it or even if they don't, that they're kind of using muscles against muscles. In other words, they're using levels of musculature that aren't necessary, which causes stress, which causes the endocrine system. The more tense we are in our muscles, the less our endocrine system secretes relaxing hormones. And so the more relaxed you can be within movement, even, and I'm a jogger, you know, and we have, this will sound strange, but we have what we call Qigong jogging, Qigong running, Qigong walking. Every activity can be Qigong as right. long as you're breathing in time with the steps, with the movements, and that sort of thing. And so when you, and with Qigong walking, there's even a major book written that is similar. It's called the Qi, Qi running, and I know the authors a little bit, and they there's no connection between them and me. But in other words, there are, there are, um, traditions within my besides mine even that have teach qigong jogging running 
so it's it's great that you mentioned that because you're hitting it right in the head once again. Yeah, that's. I, I mean, I think people need to know that that you know, even if you're in an intense activity, no matter what it may be, you can still be relaxed. In yeah, the, exactly. In even right the, I'm not it. a military guy, but the, even the special forces of the United States in the last five years have been studying. Uh, the, once again, I swear it sounds strange, but they've been studying qi gong running. Right. And and there's a slight lean forward, that not enough to cause back pain and using gravity and breathing mm-hmm. and playing with the steps. Anyway, not to go on, but that it really is amazing when you think how all these these different entities are connecting these helpful dots. You know, it it is really amazing. Um, and and so often something that seems so simple, we we, may, we tend to make it so complex as a society. Let me ask you, um, in Chinese traditional medicine, why is developing a truly helpful philosophical way of life so important? Because, for instance, I'll give you an example. Um, in our broad society, we have such a uh, immense amount of knowledge in our with regard to health and wellness and of course a lot of other things so why is our uh, society in fact just today my wife gets the paper every day um, it's saying that by 2030 that you know a huge majority of Americans will be obese and overweight in fact it's 66 percent now and well if we have all this knowledge why aren't we you know improving ourselves right well popular culture one is a powerful thing you know advertising and just on media and that sort of thing but the main thing the reason why we need a strong philosophical base is because we have the knowledge we really do and the knowledge is growing you know a lot of the research that comes out every day complements or substantiates the ages old traditions of traditional Chinese health arts. Right. It's just a wonderful thing. But why isn't that? It's because you need a healthful way of life, a philosophy. We coin it. It can be coined many different ways, but in this exact specific tradition, it's true health through true responsibility. That's what my book about, and this book book is about, and that's not to promote my book, but the idea is if you combine a healthful, philosophical way of life based on the notion of true health and true responsibility. And the primary thesis of that notion is that the world would be a much better and different place as more and more people take true health, take true responsibility for their own health and well-being. So if you combine that notion with that, just it's an ages-old, fine-tuned philosophy, and it's not, it doesn't have to be just that my philosophy or the right. one that I learned, but it's really, it makes perfect sense and combine that with all the knowledge that we have at our disposal, we have more knowledge than we've ever had throughout human history. Right, and, right. And so we need. So that's why. That's why philosophy is so important. Well, that's that's some great information because, and I just want to have to take this time right now to mention in your book, uh, Doctor Hep, Doctor Hepker has a, a book, a new book that he just wrote, and it's called A Glimpse of Heaven. The Philosophy of True Health. And you guys might want to go pick that up. I'm sure you can get it at Amazon, um, but we'll give some more information as well as how you can, you know, contact Dr. Hepker and and get more information about him and what he does and his books and things of that nature. But that I thought would be a great time right now to mention that because 
really truly a, a helpful philosophical way of living is is extremely beneficial to not only the person that's doing it, but to those around them. And um, a lot of times something that's so simple is not always easy to do or something that's easy is not always simple because, oh, exactly. you know, yeah. we, we come across things that in our lives that we tend to make it challenging. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, it, really so is. it is. And, and I know, um, you know, with regards to Ayurveda and um, Chinese traditional medicine, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of focus on, on learning how to breathe and, and how to restore balance in, into yourself and into your life and basically learning how to reset yourself with just doing some simple breathing exercises. So at this point, I want to move into um, some of the beneficial things from the you know philosophical point of view of Chinese traditional medicine with regards to things that people can utilize in their lives when they come across a, a you know stressful situation or find themselves feeling a little overwhelmed and mm -hmm. and one of the most important things as i just mentioned was the fact of how breathing plays such an important role in our our life you know when you're tense you you breathe very shallowly you don't you don't do a full diaphragmatic diaphragmatic uh, expansion of the you know the breath and the lungs, and so sure. can you explain to the audience why is abdominal or diaphragmatic breathing so important? Okay. Well, usually when when health when healthy infants are born, right when they're born, and then for a period thereafter, which obviously varies, they call, in hospitals they often call it belly breathing. They do actually breathe at the abdomen right um, but after a period of time we don't really understand it completely to the exact sense but people start breathing more at the upper chest in other words if you think of your lungs going the lengthwise uh, vertically most people only use about the, the lower I mean the top half of their lungs they breathe right. more shallow yeah so the lower when and this is scientifically proven the more you learn to use your full lung capacity, the more complements circulation and greater oxygenation of the body. And this is a vicious circle when we don't do this because when we're stressed or anxious and whatever you perceive that to mean in given situations, we raise our shoulders, we tense up, and we stop breathing. We breathe even more shallow. Right. And when we breathe even more shallow, then less uh, relaxing hormones are secreted um, when we have our shoulders raised, which is part of that fight or flight syndrome. syndrome uh -huh. It makes it impossible to breathe as well at the abdomen. And over time, through not breathing at the abdomen, people get a very tense diaphragm. It's kind of like an illness in a sense. It's not an illness, but it's kind of like that. Just think of you've got this knot. Most people have these knots in their diaphragm. So even if you're aware of the benefits and have faith in the benefits of learning to breathe at the abdomen, at the diaphragmatic breathing, it takes time. It takes a few minutes a day for about a month or two to really practice right. meditatively. And after about that time, you'll find the average person will have learned to do that. But to better answer your question, when you learn to do that, once again, it releases more healthful levels of relaxing hormones, even serotonin, which is the 
the hormone that helps your brain cells connect better. So if you're, it's like a vicious circle. If you're breathing shallow and you're anxious, then it's just like this circle that keeps going around right. and kind of gets stuck to some degree. Whereas if you could learn to, to be more and more relaxed in your daily life and even so when you see a stressful situation come about, if you could force yourself, and I don't mean to be uh, difficult by using the word force, right. but at first you really do have to take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and you really have to teach yourself and make yourself do this. Over time, it becomes more and more natural. Right, but right. It, it's a really tough thing, and this is one of the most important things we teach in, in the arts that I teach. You know, um, with 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 regards to um you know utilizing the diaphragmatic breathing or abdominal breathing um when you're in a stressful situation you know everyone it just what it does it really does counterbalance those fight or flight endorphins that are released in your body so many sure. times we're operating under you know stress we don't even know it it's just it, it's, be, it's become so natural to us to be stressed oh, that exactly. we don't even recognize or realize where how stressed we are and and I tell people all the time just take the time you know and use I have an acronym that I give them which is you know uh calm because basically what you can do is you know um close your eyes Become aware of your your body, how it's feeling. Are your shoulders up by your ears? You know, are you feeling tension anywhere? You know, um, let let your body become relaxed and then go into some mindful breathing. And what that does is it really resets or readjusts that fight or flight symptom because yeah, because it helps it forces your body to pay attention to what's going on within your body. And I tell people, when you start to do it, it seems a little funny at first. It seems unnatural because we're not used to doing that because, like you said, we haven't been breathing abdominally since we were infants. And so well, it does kind not, of against it's against the norm of our popular culture. Right. It, this is it, kind of strange stuff. You know, yeah, you know. it does. It does. You know, it does. It is. It is different. Anytime there's something different, it's strange to us. But the more you do it, it becomes a habit. And pretty soon that habit, it just, it becomes something that you naturally do. Yeah, and it's amazing. So good at it that you don't necessarily just do it by yourself in a quiet where it actually can be more out in your normal everyday life. Right. You know? And people don't even know, have to know what you're doing when you're doing it. That's what the amazing no, part it of it is, is you can be stressed to the hill and be resetting yourself and come out vibrant and joyful in 20 seconds or 20 minutes or five minutes sure. or whatever, however long you want to take. But if you're sitting in a meeting or something and you're like, it's kind of negotiations and, you know, negotiations are always kind of a little tense. You feel yourself getting a little stressed just Focus on your breathing. Do or the you acronym can think more calm when you are more calm. You yeah, know? you can you can do the acronym calm, and no one even has to know what you're doing. But what you're no. doing is doing something good for your body and your mind. So I love that. Um, you know that, and it and it's a great way, people, a great way to reduce reduce and release or relax stress from from sure. what's going on. Um, oh yeah, and philosophically when you're more calm, you can show more empathy with the people you're around, more compassion, more of a loving, altruistic spirit, too. Because when we're anxious, 
a lot of the well-meaningness goes out the window. Not all, not completely, but I mean, you know what I mean? So yeah, that's true. It becomes sometimes more about me, 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 me when you're exactly. this versus about the common good of the goal that the group or whoever is trying to trying to accomplish. So it's a great yeah, well said. Yeah. great way to to uh, reduce your stress in no matter what situation, whether you're in, in, in your car in traffic or you're in intense business meeting or you're being yelled out, you know, chewed out by your boss. As your boss sure. is you out, you can definitely go into that calm place and absorb the information, but also keep your mind, body, and spirit calm during the process. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We can, a few we can be more selfless and, and uh, compassionate, and that definitely is better than being the opposite, you know. Yes, yes, most definitely. Um, you know, it's. I think it's also important at this point in time to, because I meditate and I've been doing that for quite a while. I'm. I have a lot of fire and and Ayurveda. We uh, would say I have a. I'm a predominant pitta dosha. Lots of fire, and I've been meditating for a long time and found that it, it's very calming and very cooling to my fire. So, you know, with the adjunct of um, all this. Eastern medicine things that's kind of trickling into our Western society. I think it would be great for you to explain why meditation is so important, not just in Chinese traditional medicine, but just so important in overall health and well-being. Well, like for instance, last night I taught I taught a um, meditation class. I have a number of them each week, um, and this one had a lot of begin brand new people mm-hmm. and they were through the uh, I'm an adjunct uh, faculty uh, instructor for the local college here and so they came to my facility through that medium and so um, with regard to that one of the most important things of course number one is teaching and teaching them the importance of abdominal breathing because nothing works as well without that Right. and then the next facet, most important facet, is what we coin. We have many coinages, but the main one is learning to play the part of the perfect or next to perfect unblemished witness. In other words, to your internal and external environment. And that's complemented by the breathing because the breathing causes more calmness and learning to empty the mind. And if you're doing something, whether you're sitting, meditating, or anything else, you can learn to focus more exactly on what you're doing in the miracle of the moment or including this true appreciation or gratitude for the the miracle of the moment. And then learning, and I'm sure you're aware of this from your training, learning to, with being fanned by the deep abdominal breathing, we imagine that there's a little fire, a flame, a furnace, just behind and also below the na- one's navel. Mm-hmm. And that you do the deep abdominal breathing, playing the part of the perfect or next to perfect witness, you can learn to fan that little furnace stronger and stronger and stronger until you can learn to feel that all the time. And in our classic arts, the way we, this used to be kind of secret stuff decades or hundreds of years ago, and now we just openly teach it. My instructor said, you know, this is really going to get lost if we don't start being a little bit more uh, fair-minded and share this next part is that, and I don't mean to like, oh boy, big deal, but the point is the uh, most people in their lifetimes have felt those loving, 
sparkling, spine-tingling, sentimental moments where they kind of get that spine-shivering feeling. Right. But they aren't doing it on purpose. It's spontaneous, which makes it no less special. That feeling, according to our teachings and in practice, and learning to do it at will, not just spontaneously, is the feeling of the bioelectric energy in the body that can be greatly enhanced through the art of witnessing, but most importantly, at first at least, the deep diaphragmatic breathing, fanning that furnace so that you can learn to have these feelings at will. And so, so basically, that, so that basically what the meditation um, does is really... Um, is really to is it is is it utilized in Chinese traditional medicine to fan the flame, calm the flame, be be aware. Well, you want aware by having the strong furnace or strong fire or flame, it it does create calmness. Uh-huh. That wonderful loving altruistic feeling is calming. In fact, there's nothing more wonderful with regard to one's own true health and wellness than learning to do that. But it's only possible, according to these traditions anyway, through the deep <clears throat> abdominal breathing. People will get tired of me saying that, but I can't stress the importance of it. Right. And learning to be a witness to one's internal and external environment. And unblem- more and more unblemished witness. In other words, I often say in the meditation, one of the when I teach the meditation, that one of the most significant parts of all the difficulty in our life or aspects is the issue of forgiveness. So, if you alleviate... so, so, so let, let, because we you were just kind of getting off a track of the question. Sure. sure. Um, so go back to explaining, because what I want people to really, really hear is sure. why would one ever want to meditate? I mean, you know, there's great things. You know, I know, you know, how beneficial it is and how beneficial it's been for me. And you know it. But someone out there, I'm going to say, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to change the world here, basically. I want people to to understand that, you know, blissful living is possible in our society to do today. And I want it to be known that it's possible for everybody living in our society, not just for people my age, not just for people um, your age, but for the young generation coming up as well. So if you were talking to someone that is 20, I'm going to say between the ages of 18 and 24, and they're thinking, you know, meditation is like this woo-woo type of thing, you know, and they need to sit and, you know, be in the lotus position for, you know, four hours and all that. How would you explain to someone between the ages of 18 to 24 why they should meditate and why, how is that, how that's going to profoundly change their lives? Well, first of all, initially, um, it does mostly require one to do it, learn to do it skillfully by themselves. But to answer your question, as they become more skillful, then it can blossom into other aspects of their life. You can be doing anything in your life and be meditative about it. When we're speaking like we are now, mm-hmm. it isn't meditation, but we can still, if we've gathered this skill, this meditative skill that helps us think more clearly, it can even blossom into a conversation like this so that we can pick our words 
more accurately, and I'm not saying anything's perfect. I'm not the greatest speaker in the world, but I'm just saying right. that it can, it can help with everything in our life. If you have a tool by which helps you think more clearly and prolong your health, your youthfulness with regard to uh, just having a lot of stress and learning to deal with that stress and alleviate that stress in a substantive way, there's always room for improvement, is a, is a key to true health. And thinking more clearly and learning to witness things more as they really are, more selflessly right. versus with all the baggage. we From the time we're born, we gather baggage. Right. If we can learn to more and more alleviate that baggage and see things more selflessly, more the way they really are without all that, the those different lenses so, from our experiences. So what that you, really helps. So I'm sorry. So what you would. Oh, tell, that's right. Yeah, no. So, I mean, it's great information. Um, so what you would tell basically, you know, the person that's 18 to 24 is that meditation is going to help you to be centered within yourself. It's going to help you have more clarity. It's going to help you. Uh, decrease decrease the out external stressors that might be impacting your performance at work or at school or you know sure. your daily life. And, and it's going and not just our our externals, what our environment, but also our internal, internal. environment. That's, it's, it's going that's to why I mentioned the issue of forgiveness. If you could forgive yourself and figure forgive others more so and alleviate that weight on your shoulders, right. you can see more clearly. And meditation can help you see. So, the issues and your experiences more clearly so that you can lift weight over. I mean, with regards to internally, externally, um, dealing with relationships, dealing with oneself, dealing with your yep. own insecurities yep. and ineptness or what you think about yourself, your your net worth, your self-worth, things of that nature. Sure. It's going to be all-encompassing beneficial to you. And, um, and, and that's great information because I think a lot of times today uh, the younger generation – is not exposed to that because our society has become so technologically advanced and so technologically driven that, you know, they have technology in the palm of their hand every day. Well, yeah. And in addition to compliment what you just said, and if I was teaching 18 to 24 year olds, one of the greatest humps or hoops to jump through and getting the point across is that at that age, they know they have a good reason to think that they've got many decades yet to, do that kind of important stuff later. Right. You know what I mean? Right, We're right. trying to get through that. Like, you know, when I was 18 to 24, <laughs> I thought I was immortal. You know, I thought, oh, gee, I'll deal with that someday. But right now, you know, we all do that to some degree. So it's getting that this the importance of what we're discussing across in a substantive way that, that can be personal. That's the toughest thing. You know, I'm also... And have a doctorate degree in psychology, uh-huh. and that art actually, that science and art really co- has an intrinsic natural connection with with um, the traditional Chinese health arts. Even Carl Jung, one of the great the great psychoanalysts, and you know Neo Freudian, he he used a lot of the um, Chinese uh, philosophy, Taoism and Buddhism and that sort of thing in his uh, dialogue and conversations with his patients. You know? Right. You know, I, I also want to let the um, people know out there that may be listening to the show that um, meditation does not require that you sit in lotus position for no. hours a day. In fact, we, the class last night, I have stools 
hold on people sit on stools because I know most people can't sit in the lowest position yeah. anyway. You yeah, know, so. you can actually, you know, you can actually, um, you know, meditate on your way to work in your car. I mean, it's 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 a lot of things, and 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 the meditation encompasses a lot of different things. You can sure. spend thirty seconds, or you can spend thirty hours. But in that realm of time, basically, you're really giving your body something, your body, your your mind, and your spirit something really wholesome and yummy and beneficial, yeah. beneficial not only in the context of what we can see, but in the context of what we can't see with regards to when you're calm, cool, and collected, so to speak, then your cells are able to regenerate themselves in a more healthier way. They have more healthier energy surrounding the the formulation of them versus chaos and stress. You know, you're you have you have the relaxing hormones circulating throughout your body versus the stressing hormones or the fight or flight hormones. So it's it's just sure. really, 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 really beneficial, and it doesn't take a lot of time. I mean, you can simply just be mindful of where you are, mindful of what you're doing, or mindful of your breath, or, you know, you can take it a little bit deeper, but it doesn't require a lot from you to do, and it's something so simple, but it will have such a profound effect on all aspects exactly. of your life. Now, um, also, is there any other um, disciplines within Chinese traditional medicine that is utilized to help people deal with uh, stress besides, you know, the, the physical aspect of the, you know, Qigong and Tai Chi and then, you know, the meditation or the, and also the abdominal and diaphragmatic breathing. Are there anything um, else with related to Chinese traditional medicine that you would give to someone or, or uh, teach someone sure. on how to, re, you know, relax themselves and, and have a stress? Well, I teach fun can be a form of moving meditation. Uh, Qigong, when you're doing moving Qigong, is a form of moving meditation. And your eyes are generally open. We have what we coin as a visual meditative demeanor. In other words, most of our daily lives, when we're up and around, our eyes are open. And as you get better at the meditation, like we were speaking of earlier, you learn to blossom, have that blossom into more and more aspects of your life which is much of the day when your eyes are actually open. So, and that sort of thing. Also, um, acupuncture, you know, if somebody wants to be treated for stress and anxiety is, you know, very effective for international statistic for efficacy of acupuncture is about 75%, which is not, and not to compete, but that's much higher than most medical, uh, the efficacy of most medical practices, you know, so it, it, it is effective. Not all of scienti- scientists agree with that, but that's the international statistic. Um, and then with regard, you know, there's Twina massage, which I don't really do. I'm trained in it uh-huh. and that sort of thing. And then there's something called it's called Qigong on Mo. It's similar to what the nurse practitioners do in their healing touch and uh, therapeutic touch, which is a misnomer. It's actually where they don't really touch, and it's kind of a form of a, it sounds a little strange, but chi correspondence between the practitioner and the patient or client, right. that sort of thing. And uh, but it goes back, way back. And then that can eventually relate to that, what I'm coining is that the bioelectric feeling or spine tingling feeling. If the practitioner is highly uh, skilled, they can learn to use that bioelectric energy, supposedly, 
So is there anything yeah. that a person can do without, you know, I mean, you know, it seems like what you just discussed requires, you know, an assistance of a practitioner, you know, acupuncture as well sure. as massage and, you know, the tweena. Like said, Qigong doesn't just have to be formal Qigong uh, practices or movements. We have walking Qigong. There's nothing more important with regard to health and wellness and relaxation than doing with the human body what it was meant to do. And sadly, as you say, in our technological environment, in the contemporary environment, um, people don't often do with their human body what it was meant and designed to do, whether you're thinking of it as um, designed or evolved, whichever, still the same difference if we don't do. So just walking, you know, is jogging, obviously, but most people don't like to do that, but just walking for a half hour uh, a few times a week, Mm -hmm. you know, and then if you wanted to make it more skilled, you could learn to t- breathe in time with the steps, for instance. That makes it even, that makes it just walking profound with regard to its health and wellness benefits and right. dealing with stress and anxiety. Basically, we just don't, one of the worst things about popular culture is we're not convinced in our culture that we know it's true, but we're not convinced. That's why philosophy is so important. Right. You know, the the right. simple act of walking is practically the key to the universe. So, you know, so it really is. To, so with regards to um, you know having um, different things that people can utilize to re- release or reduce their stress, some of the mm-hmm. some of the things you know might be to you know of course meditate, the uh, abdominal diaphragmatic breathing, you know, of course, practicing qigong or tai chi, but also getting out in nature and walking, and and yeah. and that's really important because I know a lot of times people, you know, get stuck in their office, but you know, and, and can't get out, you know, first. Well, the human body wasn't meant to sit like we yeah. do. Yeah, and so it's, no. so what I tell people a lot of times is if you're feeling like that and you're feeling stressed, just get up and move in your cubicle or in your office or wherever you're sure. working. Do a little movement. Oh, yeah, anything's better than... Yeah. And releases everything. And, and then it actually helps you to reset and get back, you know, focus. There's just a lot of little things that people can do that, you know, sometimes they don't even think about, you know, because they just well, seem... Can I so- give you a, a specific example? Yeah. Um, with my primary instructor, he'd be about 100 years old now. But um, he was ethnic Chinese, and he, when he was a child, uh, manifested asthma. And but he had family members that knew this art that we're speaking of, and so they can they got him to start jogging two miles a day, and he done it did it all of his life, and he was fully versed in practice. He was a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine later in life when he became old enough, and went through the schooling. And he even tested it a couple of times. He told us that if he didn't jog for two or three or four days, mm-hmm. the symptoms of the asthma started manifesting again. And obviously this was not a empirical research study, but he was convinced just through trial and error that this the exercise kept his asthma at bay. So walking isn't just relaxing. Moving the human body can be a treatment, both preventive uh, and also treatment, treatment for right. for for problems for maladies. Oh, I I I really agree with you on that aspect. With you know, um, walking has a lot of benefits. You know, it gets your gets your blood circulating. 
It gets you to breathe. And, and if you really do a brisk walk, um, <clears throat> you know, it helps you to have the oxygenation or basically open up your lungs. Because if you're brisk, relax while you're doing it. <laughs> exactly. You, know. you have to de- breathe, breathe deeply so you're sucking in more oxygen and releasing more carbon dioxide, which is good for the cellular health of your, your cells in your body. You know, oxygenation actually is so beneficial to the heart because without oxygen, the heart stops. Oh, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, you don't, you're not around anymore. And then also oxygenation opens up and brings clarity to the brain. And so it's, it's just good to get out and move. And that movement will really, really does help yeah. decrease stress. But we're going to be, we're getting, you know, close to um, our time. And sure. what I want to move on into is, um, so now that people, you know, they know a little bit about tra- Chinese traditional medicine, they know um, some of the things that can help them with regards to uti- utilizing the philosophy of Chinese traditional medicine to help them release or, or reduce their stress. Can you just give a quick um, insight as to how Chinese traditional medicine views illness versus how Western medicine or allopathic or conventional medicine does? I was hoping you'd ask that question. That's a great thing to explain. Um, In traditional Chinese health arts, all illnesses are like a blockage. We we acknowledge there's a little little bit more to this. But at the most fundamental level, all illness, all maladies, are the have a the 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 illness itself is like a in that area of the body mm-hmm. is like a blockage of the free flow of blood and often lymph in your lymph system mm-hmm. and bioelectric energy. So, for instance, when we do acupuncture, we're trying to alleviate that blockage of that free healthful flow. Right. And so in the in the chronic in, in Western or, or conventional medical terms, we we can use say that there it's either a chronic blockage or an acute blockage. An acute blockage is when you have a new injury or a new illness that's kind of like a hot, more of a hot type acute, or we would call deficient uh, a deficient. I mean an excess or a deficient uh, yin. Which means there's none of it. There's too much yang. So, so in a chronic or cold-like uh, illness, um, it's just the opposite. Often, a, a, a deficiency like that, or deficient yang, a cold type, and not, not like a cold getting a cold, but where the actual illness becomes such a, just kind of a, so weak, it causes so much weakness in that part of your body whether it's an internal organ or if somebody's older and they have bad circulation in their legs and they damage their legs somehow, that may be acute right away. But if it stays there long enough, then it becomes a chronic thing and or more the blockage is more of a so, cold, lethargic so type. So basically, have Chinese traditional medicine, is it focused on um, prevention or? Both. Well, okay. We, well, so, we would like we prefer prevention, <laughs> but right. we realize that lightning bolts do strike. But we believe that eighty-five or ninety percent of all illness is preventable if we would have made the effort. Now, you know, if a child gets an illness like leukemia or cancer, or somebody just 
you know, nothing's perfect, but the idea is that more of the time, more of the time, the majority of the time, illness, even if it comes, is preventable. We have a genetic propensity towards certain illnesses, all of us, and the genetics, from what I understand in modern science, has about a 30% control of what happens to us, but it also relates to what we call the thesis stress model, right. which is that we have our genes, our genetic structure, then we have our environment and how our environment interacts with the genetic right. structure, right. and also what we do with our own bodies and our own minds, how we live. See, So you have a choice as to how most people aren't aware of that, but then you have a choice. Right. You're becoming more and more aware of that. And so in traditional Chinese health arts, an illness is like a blockage, and if we can figure out different ways, whether it's acupuncture or exercise or a combination of all the things we've discussed, then we can learn, hopefully, to alleviate the blockage. But blockages can become so chronic, so such a uh, morbidity in that part of the body, such a weakness, mm-hmm. that there are times, obviously, I mean, we're not going to live forever. Right. But, you know, but yet, so nothing's perfect. Right. That's how we look at it. Oh, well, that's that's a very interesting. It, it's it's um, very interesting information with regards to, you know, how things are viewed and how, how Chinese traditional medicine sees illness and, you know, how they utilize various aspects of um, treatment to combat illness and to help people feel better and to help people, you know, have less stress in their lives. It it seems like it's a beautiful, and I know it is, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, medical modality that is extremely beneficial to the overall health and well-being of the individual. And so now is the time of or part of the show where we're going to come a little bit to a close here, and I want to have people be able to contact you and, uh, you know, get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more about what you do and, sure. you know, more about, you know, the books you've written and, and things of that nature. So I know I mentioned the book, A Glimpse of Heaven, The Philosophy of True Health. And as I had mentioned, you guys, you can pick that up, I'm sure, at Amazon. But, um, Dr. Hepker, are there any other ways that they may be able to reach out and touch you? Do oh, you have a website? Yep. The, uh, it's a glimpse of heaven, the philosophy of truthhealth.com. And there's also, it can be gotten through bookstores. Okay. And, and if the bookstore doesn't have it, they can order it. And they'll find it. The bookstore will will be able to find it online in their way of ordering things. Okay. And then Barnes and Noble, um, and uh, it's on Kindle and as a physical book. So. Oh, that's great. Now, how do you are you do you have a website with regards to if someone wants to contact you and learn you know learn more about how they could work with you? Do you have a website that you can? Um, sure. Yeah. It's um, chi dot com. Um, and say that one more time slowly. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Mason City, M A S O N, City, Tai Chi. dot com. Okay. And there's a blog, and um, best the best way to get that would be a little confusing to give you the name, but just if they Google or use Yahoo and put my name in, they'll easily find the blog for the book. 
Okay, great. Well, let me just give them some information. Our guest today on the Blissful Living on Blissful Living is Dr. Glenn Hepker, and his name is spelled G like George, L E N like Nancy, H E P like Paul, K like Kilgore. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else to go with K, our kangaroo. Uh, But Dr. Glenn Hepker, you can, I'm sure you can Google him. You can put him in Yahoo search. He's giving you information on how to pick up his book. And I'm sure if you get that book, there's ways in there that you can contact him. And um, again, I just really, really, really want to thank you for being a guest on the show today. The information is definitely informative and very important for people to know. I really do like people to understand that there's more ways to skin a cat and there's more ways to take care of your health and wellness than what we may have been thrown, what may have been thrown upon us for years and years and years. When you look outside the box, you'll discover that there's a whole world of beauty waiting out there for you. And it's out there to really, really help you feel well and have a blissful life and to live blissfully. I mean, God, the divine has created everything we absolutely need here on earth to take really good care of ourselves. And so now I'm trying to do that by educating you on ways that you can enliven your life and live a blissful life by a variety of ways and and really step outside the norm and just see how beneficial and how yummy some of this stuff is. It's going to have profound benefits on your life. And so with that, I would like to say thanks once again, Dr. Glenn Hepker, for being a guest on the show. People go out and pick up his book. And I'm going to close and say I am Rochelle Lawson. Thank you for listening to Blissful Living. I am so honored to be able to bring this information to you and these wonderful guests. And as always, I am wishing you much health and wellness, and may your day be filled with peace, tranquility, and lots of wellness. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Take care. Bye-bye. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N or at healthhealingwellness.com. Or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.